from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast The irony of Dominic has people saying that they felt unsafe or afraid for their lives if caste was to be taught is that they are not the people that actually have to deal with the ramifications of their their bigotry um because like even just since the Washington Post exposé came out um I've had numerous calls for violence against me and my family uh my family had to go into a safe house because people were trying to attack my parents and um disinformation and attacks myself and so many embedkrite leaders and dalit feminists are speaking out about biased companies because biased companies create biased tech and that tech leads to violence against our people we deserve a right to the internet free from violence and slurs and discrimination and the future that we build that's a dalit feminist future is a future more people want to live in than a world where people are hurling slurs and discriminating against workers in the workplace that's why this matters that's tenmuri sondararajan who's executive director at the organization equality labs The Washington Post had published a detailed report earlier this month about how Tenmuri was supposed to give a talk to Google News employees in April as part of Dalit History Month. But that talk was cancelled after multiple employees reportedly claimed in internal emails and messages that Tenmuri was both anti-Hindu and Hindu-phobic. Equality Labs, the organization that Tenmuri heads, has organized similar talks in other tech giants in the past without any incident. Tenmuri had even spoken at a Google event just months ahead of this scheduled talk. After the talk in April was put on hold, Tenmuri wrote to Google CEO Sundar Pichai asking for the event to be held, but it didn't work. Tanuja Gupta, who had invited Tenmuri to give the talk at Google and was a senior manager at Google News, quit after the event was cancelled. But what Tanuja and Tenmuri did do was have a version of the talk that was cancelled and it's now available on YouTube. say for the record that today's talk is not a Google sponsored talk. Um everything you hear today is said in a very personal capacity. Um so we're not reflecting the views of Google as a company. Tenmuri and Equality Labs have been documenting caste discrimination in the US for years now. Equality Labs had done a revealing survey in 2016 among Indian workers in the US and it showed that casteism was present across companies. We caught up with Tenmuri to discuss the cancelled Google talk and to address the allegations that were leveled against her. She discusses the prevalence of caste in the US and how it's been kept alive. Tenmuri also spoke about why tech companies can't turn away from addressing the issue of caste as well as how companies can address caste-based discrimination. By the way, a term you will hear a lot in this episode is DEI. which stands for diversity equality and inclusion Tenmuri I wanted to start by asking um this experience that you've had with Google is this something that has ever happened to you before have you ever been invited to a talk and then been withdrawn from it because people claimed you were putting them in danger 
I don't know if you can tell because this is an audio program, but I'm laughing because actually, no, it's never happened to me. And it, in fact, I'm actually getting even more requests to speak about caste. We're in this moment in the United States where there's been a racial reckoning with um, the murder of George Floyd and the demand from, uh, you know, racial movements to to see companies behave in ethical ways to uh, marginalize communities. So the reality has been that um, I've always been treated with a great deal of respect and I speak you know, at intergovernmental agencies, at many um, official governmental bodies um, in and outside the United States, as well as corporations and philanthropic institutions. For any of the people that try to use bigotry to deplatform Dalits and Dalit peoples, um, it's not working. It may have worked in the instance of Google because of the gross level of discrimination that exists there um, and the hostile casteist workplace that it has towards its employees and contractors. But Google is not the leader in HR and DEI. They are actually the outlier. And this is a moment where we're seeing corporations in an unprecedented way really move to address their liabilities with relationship to caste discrimination by adding caste as a protected category and inviting caste-oppressed organizations and scholars to help them address rampant caste bias within their institution. I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called the Barbara Streisand effect, um, but essentially, you know, by, by bigots using bigoted tactics to target a speaker from a protected class, they're actually pointing deeply to the need for addressing um, caste discrimination in tech and corporate sectors. And luckily, we're seeing people meet the moment, which is like a wonderful experience um, as Dalit people break the silence around caste even stronger after the, this Google incident. I just want to dwell on this for one second, where you mentioned that Google is this outlier when it comes to combating caste in the workplace. I'm referring to a previous interview you'd given in which you spoke about the fact that, you know, Google unfortunately has is in a unique place also because its CEO studied in India and can't pretend that he doesn't understand caste. So was that a surprise then that this talk was cancelled? Uh, I don't think I was surprised. I think that there are questions that Sundar Pinche needs to answer because, you know, certainly he is in that position in part because there were very strong um, diversity measures that were put into place across the sector to push for diverse teams and staff. I think this is one of the ironies is that South Asians make up a huge part of tech uh, because of affirmative action policies in the United States, both that allowed for large amounts of South Asians to immigrate when racist immigration laws finally were kind of put down by the civil rights movement and allowed for immigration from around the world, but also the affirmative action policies that allow for diverse workplaces. This is why it's always funny when you see South Asians that are in those positions that got there because of equity battles, then try to pull the ladder up behind them as they start to like really chastise and shame and demean Dalit employees who are beneficiaries of reservation in India and other countries of origin in South Asia. So it's kind of like an absurd dynamic of people being quite hypocritical in their workplaces. 
And, you know, with Sundar, you know, it's very peculiar because, again, he has spoken out about issues of racism, particularly in the wake of George Floyd, and scheduled listening sessions with his team and with civil rights organizations and pledged to make DEI investments to support diverse candidates. So certainly with someone like Sundar, who is a Tamil Brahmin from the state of Tamil Nadu, from Madurai, there is no way that he does not know about the systemic exclusion and punishing violence and impunity that caste-oppressed people face throughout India, but particularly in Tamil Nadu. So if he knows that he can do the right thing and have his company lead around these issues of racial equity, why on earth would he be silent around the issue of caste? Why did it take this you know, incredible crisis internal to the company for Google to make its first statement related to caste where they said that caste discrimination was not to be tolerated in its workforce, but they haven't changed the policy. There's still no policy in the company in North America and its global workforce that says caste is a protected category. It's only listed in India and also in their moderation policies. But think about how challenging that is. Like if you're an H-1B or L-1 employee that has come from the India office where you know that caste is a protected category and you move to Mountain View um, where their U.S. headquarters are, why wouldn't you have the same legal protections as a protected category when you're used to it from where you came from, particularly when Mountain View office has so many South Asians in there? These are questions I cannot answer, but I think that um, it's important that he starts to acknowledge the social context that informs his implicit and explicit biases around caste uh, because it's harming caste-depressed people and it's harming his workplace. This is a moment where he could either choose to lean into it and um, take a growth mindset to this problem and listen to caste-depressed people that are deeply concerned about the systemic discrimination and bias in the company um, and change. And I certainly hope he takes up that call for change because uh, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks has been deeply concerning. I know you've spoken a lot about this over the years, but could you talk about just how prevalent caste-based discrimination is in the U.S. and how does it play out in workplaces? My organization, Equality Labs, conducted the first survey to document caste discrimination in the United States. And uh, our findings, which were very difficult to get, um, were pretty damning. You know, in our survey, one in four Dalits um, talked about facing verbal and physical assault, uh, one out of three, educational discrimination, and two out of three, workplace discrimination. I'm always like surprised and saddened when people say to me, oh, you mean that's like for numbers in South Asia, right? And I said, no, this is in the United States. Even trying to take the survey, we faced violence. Like we would table in front of South Asian religious institutions and community markets, as well as distribute to multiple community organizations. And when we would table in person, people would like, you know, uh, hurl insults at us. They would yell at us. They would heckle us. People would hang up on us when we would call them on the phone. Imagine the epistemic divides that we have to cross even to be able to document this violence 
Our community uh, has made the discussion of caste so taboo, so prohibited, and surrounded with bigotry and violence um, that it really takes a very grounded and calm perspective in order to be able to pierce through that discrimination and fragility and get to the truth. Our data set really did that, and um, and it's really changed the world around this issue because through that data set, we've held congressional briefings, we have spoken about this issue across many American institutions, and um, and now American institutions are adding caste as a protected category. It's it's a profound thing to to see Dalit people really being able to feel more and more confident about speaking out about this issue, um, and we're just getting started. Many Hindu groups attempt to paint the bringing up of caste um, as being anti-Hindu. How do you argue against that? Because they make it sound like it fundamentally targets all Hindus and therefore puts them at risk in a sense. So I think what's really important to kind of remember is that, um, you know, the opposite of caste equity is only bigotry. So it's important to know who we're talking about around this issue. The groups that are speaking out about this don't represent all Hindus. We certainly have Hindus in our organization, and there are many Hindus that are dominant caste across all of these companies that are fighting for caste equity. So this is really a small group of organizational actors that have decided that they want to be uh, aligned with bigotry. And you can ask them why they want to be aligned with bigotry. Um, I can't really speak to their motives, but it's actually even a false equivalence that they're creating in the pursuit of their bigoted um, advocacy. Because the reality is, is that caste is found in all religious communities. I myself was born Hindu and Christian and saw casteism in, you know, both um, religious institutions. And now I'm Buddhist. And I've been very open about the, the fact that we need to view caste as a protected category and separate it from the context of religion because Dalits are survivors of religious abuse in all of these traditions. In Equality Labs, we have members from many different faiths that have very heart-rending experiences of bigotry um, within religious institutions. And so to, to really assert that is a bad faith argument that's rooted in bigotry and is an attempt to confuse HR practitioners because they're hearing from people who are from a protected class with relationship to religion saying that caste impacts them. And so it's not an actual practical reality. Um, it's more an attempt to um, divert the conversation from the civil rights of caste-oppressed people. But luckily, most institutions see right through it. Adding caste as a protected category, the only people that affects and that it would harm would be people who are bigots and people who discriminate. If you don't discriminate and you're not a bigot, you don't have to worry about it. So I think the question surely should be thrown back to them. Why are they so threatened that caste-oppressed people would be able to receive the civil rights that are their lawful uh, rights as residents within the United States. Um, certainly, if these same people were to raise these arguments in India, they would be laughed out of the, the conversation because caste is a protected category in India. 
You know, they're only able to get away with these shenanigans abroad because they're arrogant in their discrimination and their bigotry. So I'm not going to stand one bit for that disinformation. And I don't think any of the listeners to this podcast should either, because you have to ask why someone would feel unsafe from a diversity and equity attack. Their, their feelings of fear and anxiety and survival have everything to do with their nervous systems and how they're wired for inequity, and that the prospect of me being at an equal table with them is so disturbing to them that they would say that they feel unsafe. And that's something that has to do with their own training, and I would encourage them, instead of fighting against the rights, uh, the civil rights of Dalit people, that they maybe invest their times in meditation and mindfulness, because that might actually help them ease their discomfort at the prospect of equity versus harassment and discrimination and bigotry. You spoke about the need for tech companies to wake up to the reality of caste because it influences technology. Would you expand on that idea about how caste affects technology? Because it's not something that we're used to hearing for one, and it's not something we deal with. Biased companies create biased products, and it is very distressing, I think, for many people in South Asia to understand that most Silicon Valley companies, when they entered the South Asian market, did so with, without a human rights impact audit assessment. So as per the UN principles related to um, socially responsible business practices, they should have done that because that would have given them the social context that they were entering. They didn't do that because they were, in the words of Zuckerberg, moving fast and breaking things. It's that the things that they were breaking were democratic norms creating conditions for rampant hate speech and disinformation um, that could lead to conditions of offline violence. As these companies entered our market in South Asia, um, none of the teams had competencies related to caste. So that impacts things like social media speech moderation. So every single one of these companies did not have caste as a protected category when it comes to moderating hate speech. So as a result, none of their moderators for South Asia were trained in relationship to caste and religious slurs. That's why it became normalized for dominant caste troll networks to use slurs um, very openly against caste and religious minorities because their tech wasn't built to recognize it. And then the more and more it got normalized, it got to be seen as part of the normal discourse, despite it being against some of the language that would be lawfully seen as, you know, bookable offenses under the Prevention Against Atrocity Acts. Um, so this is one of the big reasons I think Dalit women really got involved in this issue. I've been on you know platforms like Twitter since 2008. And from the beginning, when I saw on these platforms, I was the target of casteist and um, racist hate speech. I learned like terms like sapoy and rice bag. All sorts of disgusting slurs that you know people now recognize as terms thrown at caste and religious minorities. And, um, and when I went to go report it to the companies, they would be like, oh, you know, we didn't know this. Why? What is this? And then I had to explain caste. And then they said that they didn't know what caste was. 
So after years of advocacy, we finally have CAST as um, a reported category for hate speech across Google's YouTube, Facebook, and um, Twitter. Um, but imagine having to take years to report that. Imagine how much violence has been unleashed on our communities as a result of that incompetence and uh, lack of awareness around um, caste. So it's very important that we're empowered as communities to not just view tech as like the oxygen that we breathe and that it doesn't have a context and that it's not above policy advocacy. We need to view it like any other institution, whether it's the government or the media. You know, it's an institution made up of people and we have a right as um, communities to begin to ask for accountability related to bias and harm. And there are many places that CAST might exist within a tech company. It might exist in terms of its workforce and its HR policies, which is like one of the things that we're talking about in the Google conversation. It also might occur in terms of their advocacy in the world. But because keep in mind, these companies operate like intergovernmental um, organizations like the EU or the UN. And so they too have ad tons of advocacy dollars that they're pushing in multiple governments. And sometimes those might not be of interest to the human rights and civil society um, advocates in a particular region. So there must be transparency about how they're using their dollars um, against the market's um, human rights interests. And really, it's up to all of us to begin to ask more questions of these technologists because you can't take people at their PR spin. You have to take them at their PR and their actual practical manifestations in our everyday lives. With regard to caste-based discrimination at the workplace, how do you believe it can be done? How would you even go about implementing that? I mean, I don't think it's rocket science. Like we already have very strong practices for what HR investigations should look like when there is the case of discrimination. When we've heard from workers who are experiencing caste discrimination in the United States, it's all of the things that you think about that come with the hostile workplace. So, for example, uh, people are hearing about the open usage of caste slurs just being flung around on company message boards and in company teams. We're also hearing, you know, that um, people are aggressively trying to identify people's identities in order to kind of place them into the social context of their teams. So asking where people are from, where, where, what, what religious institution they go to, um, seeing if they can kind of trip them up. There's even these things called the Tambram pat, where people pat the back of their coworker to see if they can find the sacred thread. You know, all of these things create hostile workplaces for Dalits who some choose to remain in the closet because they don't want to deal with the rampant casteism of their peers. There's also, um, you know, experiences of bullying and harassment because once people's caste identity is found out, more um, teasing and joking can occur. Sometimes um, also people face caste-based sexual harassment. Um, you know, there's also retaliation and siloing from work product and even termination. So when an HR person is getting a complaint from someone about casteist dynamics in the workplace, in the United States, what that means is it really refers to um, going to the perpetrator of such harms and investigating about what their intentions were. So it's about the intention of the harmdoer and the competency that needs to be built within HR is how to spot caste harms. 
It's not like there's a witch hunt where everyone that's South Asian is being viewed as someone who's casteist. It's simply that if an act of caste discrimination occurs, someone who's caste depressed can go to HR and say, I believe I've been discriminated on the basis of caste. And they have to provide the proof and the listing of the incidents and if there was any witnesses. And then they would conduct an investigation related to the veracity of those incidents. It's not difficult. It's not hard. And many HR and DEI people are already trained around these issues. The only people for whom it's difficult for is the people who have gotten used to being discriminatory and openly bigoted in their workplaces. And what's difficult for them is that there would now be a greater accountability measure towards their bias and um, bad behavior. It's completely lawful to add caste as a protected category. There's a deep eagerness from American institutions to um, address this. So, you know, this is a losing battle for the bigots and the people that want to discriminate. But we shouldn't make any mistake that it's like some hard thing to um, to implement in the workplace. The hardness comes from people's reticence to be honest about how bad the problem it, it is. And also the taboos that we've created around speaking out and talking about that issue. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that caste conversations are hard. It's okay to acknowledge that we have a deep pain as a people about this issue. And sometimes when we offer ourselves loving kindness and compassion to each other, recognizing the difficulty it takes to be able to come to the table around this issue, sometimes it's enough just to have that empathetic witness um, because once we give in and say it's hard, you know, we can rely on each other to rehumanize ourselves around this violence. Um, and I've written a lot about this in my book that's coming out, The Trauma of Caste, because, again, what I've seen is, is that we have had many, many conversations about the economic and political project that is caste. We have not, however, begun to have the emotional, psychological, and somatic reckoning of what caste has done to our bodies, minds, and spirits, and therefore has ensnared our community into a trauma nightmare related to caste. But the wonderful thing is, is that as soon as we start talking about it, we can heal. And I think that everybody wants to heal right now because we don't want to live in this world of violence. We want hope and there is hope. And that hope is the love and care that we can offer to each other. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.